which played quite nicely just a second ago. Hello, everybody. My name is Mikko Nieminen, and uh, I'm with my good friend Johannes Verweinen, uh, good friend and a business partner. Good point. We both have a similar background, about 25 years of professional software de development, and now we're full-time instructors delivering cloud courses and, uh, and things about modern software development. That's our quick introduction. Johannes, you, you'd like to add something there? No, I'm happy with the way that you introduced me. No puns. Okay, good. Didn't insult you yet? No, not yet. Uh, I'm based in Finland, Helsinki, Finland, and Johannes is based in Portugal. And let's start by uh, comparing temperatures. What's the weather? It's really cold here. It's like 11 degrees Celsius. Yeah. So plus plus eleven. It's yes. I'm not sure how cold it is right now, but in the morning it was minus twenty, and windy, which makes it super cold. And that's like uh, minus four in in Fahrenheit or, or something like that. So yeah, yeah. at least you, at least you got some insulation in your buildings. Yeah, we definitely do. So it's t-shirts t-shirts for me in, indoors always, summers and, and winters. <laughs> so that's the the big difference between Helsinki and and. and and, uh, and Portugal. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about uh, year 2023. Yeah. What happened, and uh, like uh, what happened personally and professionally, and what were the what were the, the highlights of of the year. So we are not that focused only on, let's say, new things regarding. Uh, a specific service or specific one topic we're rambling about all kinds of things here but that's that's my plan okay let's see let yeah let's see what happens and mm, 2023 for me maybe i i will i will begin this by stopping my alarm clock there uh, a lot of lots of things happened in 2023, and for me, it actually started. Or I I will start this by saying that 2022 was a little bit too busy for me, like uh, professionally and personally. And when the year changed, I was happy to not do too much of work. Beginning of the year is quite quite uh, quiet from the from the point of view of uh, an instructor but also it was a bit a bit too quiet and i stayed away from all the extra extra things maybe i should have done a little bit more but uh, uh, but but let's say after a long long pause i found motivation again to to study a little bit more as an instructor we need to we need to study all the time we need to stay on top of things we need to focus on on the courses that we're delivering to to really know what's going on and what are the new small things that change in the in the background as as services evolve uh, regarding those those topics that we that we teach but i found my motivation again and i started studying and when you have motivation and you study it's super fun at least for me Although, uh, as a father of three, uh, sometimes I find it a bit difficult to find time. As Johannes, you know as well, sometimes it's a bit hectic. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. But, uh, yeah, and, and also one big thing or kind of a difference between 22 and 23 is that I started doing, not too many, but I started doing uh, on-site deliveries as well. Yeah. And Johannes, you are very uh, familiar with on-site deliveries because you started before pandemic and most of the deliveries were on-site, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a, a point that we could maybe address. So uh, a lot of the instructor-led te uh, teaching 
business um, was on-site deliveries only. And then the, yeah. <clears throat> that was kind of back then in the training um, community, it was seen as being that differentiator from those online videos, right? So, so in general, in the business, uh, when you want to learn, I don't know, architecting on AWS, right? Your your options are to do an in-person kind of a, a, a training with with a trainer, instructor-led training, for about three days, and you're gonna pay, you know, between two and three thousand dollars or euros uh, for that. Or your other option is to go to Udemy and pay ten dollars for for a video course, an on-demand uh, based video course. So uh, back then. Um, the idea was that we would kind of say that live training, when you're there with the instructor in the same space, is is a lot better. It's a lot more effective, um, and it allows the, um, the the participants to kind of go away from their normal job uh, and then just concentrate on training. Whereas if you would do the same thing on demand video, then it's kind of intervening with your work, and uh, nobody knows how long it's going to take. And so on. So that was kind of the idea, um, and then, and then COVID happened, so yeah. <laughs> that stopped. Um, so then they kind of had to reinvent um, training. Uh, so so we started to do online live training, uh, and the story changed, right? So so now it's about you know the personality of the the instructor, the 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 interactivity between an instructor uh, and and the uh, students that is really the the the, the point and, and for us instructors this of course made life uh, a lot easier right not so, traveling yeah previously yeah like especially if we have international travel if you have a three-day course you you basically need to fly in the the day prior to the first day um and, and then if you're lucky you can fly out on the evening of the last day but it might very well be that you need to spend one more night so, so it's actually a five-day week, um, and we're paid for three, kind of. So, so uh, it's it's all very effective. Uh, on the other hand, then we would do all kinds of other stuff in hotel rooms and uh, airplanes and airports and wherever we would spend our our times in. Whereas now, with the virtual training, I, I literally get to the office half an hour before the training starts, and then I I usually even leave before the end of the evening because uh, we're, we're leaving a lab as the last activity of the day. Um, and we can also work on other stuff during breaks or, or lab time, which we really couldn't do um, on-prem when we were to be doing a live delivery. So, so it, it, it changed a lot. Um, it also changed the way that we have to do instruction, right? Uh, things that work live don't work over, over, over the, the camera in a similar way. Uh, so, so that has changed a little bit. Um, but just as we kind of got used to doing these online trainings, then as you said, uh, last year it kind of started um, a little bit late 2022, we started to see requirements to do live uh, on-premises trainings again. Um, and I had almost forgotten how much more fun it is. It's, it's yep. so much more interactive. You get to use your personality a lot more. You get to go to lunch together with the students and yep. talk like off the record. Uh, and you actually take a longer lunch break yourself. Yeah, or, or maybe yeah, even not just five minutes day, right? So, so it's uh, you get a much deeper connection uh, with the students, and uh, at least for me, the uh, the feedback has been a lot better for for the live appearances compared to the online ones. Uh, and uh, for me. Traveling, well, traveling when you don't do that, when you don't do traveling too too often, it's it's fun. But when you start to do it often, then of course it's a, it's a chore and 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 it's it's not that fun anymore. To be you have to be away from your family and and you're spending time in in different kinds of places uh, like hotels and and the airport and and traveling. But anyway, uh, I, I was. Lucky, lucky that uh, one of my uh, deliveries was actually five minutes away from my home by foot. So I did actually a couple of deliveries for a, for 
for a client that's that was basically next door to me. That was that's good of, luck. That's good luck. Yeah, but also to, I think my first uh, delivery was to to Norway. Almost exactly a year ago that that I did. But yeah, good good memories from that, and uh, it's 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 completely different from to to deliver online and uh, or or on site. And I don't have any background in in uh, kind of like performing to to large audiences and uh, as a speaker. And yeah. that and that's that's fun. Uh, to to realize that actually it's even though it is scary in the beginning before you go to the very first client it's it's, it's quite scary, scary but uh, it's actually not that scary once you start talking yeah so that was fun uh, okay so that's the, the beginning of the year was like that I did a lot of studies. Mm, I'm a curious person. I, I like to find out how things work. It's not only that that I need to like, know in theory how things work, but I try to, as often as possible, I, I will really have to get my hands on the services and configure them and, and start them. And and what, once you do that, you realize that, oh, I have no idea how this thing works. And uh, but, but I've been doing that a lot in the, in the past year. Um, so yeah, I made time for my studies uh, without without neglecting my family. I hope uh, maybe a little bit uh, stealing time from my other hobbies. I, I do uh, photography and, and rock climbing. Uh, of course, it, when you have a busy schedule, you, it's always away from something when you do something extra. I completed uh, three new certifications from from AWS side. Uh, Databases specialty, data analytics specialty, and uh, advanced architecting. And architecting pro or solution solutions architect professional. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you are hoping to do the machine learning one as well. Yeah, the machine learning one. Machine learning. I'm studying currently for machine learning uh, specialty. Probably going to do it within a month or so. That's what you said That's, a month ago. Yeah, about the month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you can you can ask me in uh, in four weeks if I have if I have All completed right. completed uh, my studies and and I have the new certification. And that's actually one thing that that happened in the past year. Also, artificial intelligence was talked everywhere you go. It's 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 all over the place. Artificial intelligence, machine learning. Uh, of course, it has been around for a very long time, but uh, it's like the the, the blockchain of uh, of the past past years that everybody started talking about blockchain and and uh, business people tried desperately to figure out how they can use blockchain in in their business. And I think the same is happening with uh, AI and machine learning. And of course, there are lots of good use cases for both. I'm not not referring to blockchain now. But uh, so we probably are going to do a lot of talking regarding AI. This yeah. Year. So I that's kind of what I was thinking about about last year, Gen AI. Yeah, specifically that was twenty twenty three was the year of generative AI. Um, it got it, it's it's interesting um, because in general when when we are like we instructors. Or, or professionals, we're kind of insiders for our industry, the IT industry. And normally, we can see these coming, these things coming like from miles away, right? But but Gen AI, the the speed with which it was taken up, really surprised me. You know, Jet GPT, thirteen months ago, of Jet GPT was in late in twenty twenty two, so just about a little bit over one year ago. Yeah, thirteen months ago, or yeah, and, and and the main topic for all of the big player conferences was Gen AI. Yep, but that's it, crazy. 
and that that started to be like it sounded almost like a joke that everybody was talking about it like like in reinvent that we visited uh in late, late last year it was they they i think they should have coordinated a little bit their, their speech, speeches so that not everybody is starting with how important the ai stuff is because it, when we just repeat it all the time then it's to, to, to be, honest, be a little boring from the, the spectator yeah, point of view. To be honest, in reInvent, it was still bearable. In in Google Next, it was the only topic. Okay. Okay, okay. 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 So it was like even I didn't, worse. I didn't visit that. Yeah. When was a, Google Next? Sorry. When was this? Uh, August, end of August. August. Yeah. So so yeah, it, it was uh, horrible. I was like, literally um, trying to scrape through content to find if there is anything yep. else than <laughs> anything else than AI. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's an interesting um, thing. Uh, AWS came a little bit late to the game. Right. So, um, but then they created a really interesting product with Bedrock kind of not taking a, a position on, on which LLM you should use, but rather, you know, saying, okay, here is everything. Just use the one that you, you like most. So, so yep. that's fairly interesting with the rest of the, the cloud hyperscalers are pushing their own uh, product first, which is understandable. Yeah, that, that kind of also explains the difference between uh, AWS and the other cloud hyperscalers. So that the other ones usually tell you that there is kind of one way to do things, like yeah, use this product for for this uh, specific use case, and then AWS is like, well, you know, we have five different products, and <laughs> you know, pick the one that suits you 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 best. Exactly, and to to taking a step a little bit further back than two thousand and twenty three, uh, I actually got into in my studies in the in the late nineties and and early two thousand. I actually bought the book that is I, I'm sharing the, the 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 book there now, Neural and Adaptive Systems, and I actually remember Johannes talking with you about this. Like yeah. twenty plus years ago, and and uh, you were even more skeptical about the system, neural networks, and I was, and I I remember that. Okay, I will I will prove it how it works, and I remember not completing that <laughs> that proof, and the uh, the. So I had a really good opportunity twenty plus years ago to to kind of jump into this topic early on, but. The, the computers were not that uh, powerful back then, and it was more about theory than than like real practical yeah. things that we were that, able to that do. That was the reason for my skepticism, right? Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and of course, then I later on jumped. Remember on when we had that. this discussion back? Well, not the details, but yeah. But but then I revisited the the subject uh, two thousand and ten in in the University of Helsinki when I when I. Complete or 2009 when I had I actually did check for <laughs> for for our presentation here I did check that I completed uh, 2009 an introduction to AI in the University of Helsinki and it would be fun to go back and uh, and visit the uh, the course material what was talked about then about the topic and then uh, 2011 I was uh, I took the Coursera course. Uh, machine learning i don't remember the name of the, the course but uh, it was so i had a second really good opportunity to jump into this and be an expert on this field and i did not do it so now i'm uh, this is my third try now uh, trying to really get into ai uh, not because i well i also have to do it but but also i, I want to do it like uh, personally and professionally i want to of course, master the topic. Yeah, oh, I think, so I, I think failed that, twice to to master the 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 the, the topic there. But uh, let's let's hope now I'm I'm going to be an expert. But not now. Your, your your course was introduction to machine learning by Hannes Vettig. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, Matti Vuorinen was the the assistant on that one. Yeah, I think we can even find the uh, the course book was an introduction to statistical learning 
by James and Witten. It's uh, used R. Yeah, I see. Yeah, we we had something to do with. It. We did some exercises with R. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. Yeah. I, I, told you, I was ahead, teaching that course later on, like four, oh, yeah. four or five years ago. They are. Yeah. Okay, so AI was one of the the big things in 2023. Uh, other highlights for for me. Um, well, reinvent was a big thing for me because it was the first time I I, I was uh, taking a part of such a huge conference. We did discuss about that a couple of weeks ago, so we don't have to go into the details of that now uh, again. But that was a really, really, really good uh, conference. Right uh, again, professionally and and personally as well. So it gave me a lot of mot motivation to to continue and deepen my knowledge. And we made uh, a lot of contacts there. And, and uh, hopefully we are uh, continuing with those people who we met and doing doing uh, things together with these new acquaintances. Yep. Uh, for me, I have one more technological thing that, that maybe not many people um, realized. <coughs> um, but quantum, quantum computing has... Uh, done some major breakthroughs in uh, 2023. Um, so for me, quantum computing um, used to be a fairly uh, theoretical concept. Uh, so, so similar, I've, I've taught a course at the university regarding quantum computing. Um, so I kind of know the theory and we did some, you know, by hand calculations on how different algorithms work. Um, and then at that time, and, and basically during the previous years, um, we didn't really have any real uh, multi-qubit um, quantum computers available. So, so we had some uh, online services that would allow you to use a quantum computer, uh, but the most of those would actually be running based on simulations only, uh, or basically making sure that your algorithm works. Um, but in 2023, actually multiple um, high qubit implementations of a quantum computer were published. Um, one of them is actually in Finland, and it uses the uh, expertise of the the cold laboratory in uh, Otaniemi, in Alto University. Uh, and, and they are doing the some a fin Finnish companies doing the cool cooling systems. Have, right. Yeah, it's it's based from the the university, the Alta University, yep. um, cold laboratory. They they used to have like the the coldness record, like some milli centigrades away from from absolute zero or something like that. Yep. So they're using that to keep the the quantum state basically. Uh, so to get super conductivity and so on, uh, and then there are other. Um, Interesting ones, uh, like IBM created a, a 2100 qubit system. Um, where we need to say that, okay. yeah, we need to say that they're not all entangled. So, so they are not a, a true 2100 qubit system, but it's already a, a pretty big um, uh, system. I have a so, question. Yeah. How, how many qubits you would need to, to be able to break the, 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 the secure transmissions between computers? Like, uh, Depends on the key size, but Rough, give roughly, some estimate. Roughly the the number of bits in the key. Okay, like it depends on the algorithm that you use. So, like how, for naively, how long? For for how long the current uh, encryption uh, systems work? Like from well, that quantum computer. Right, we're quantum. we're moving over to to two K keys now. I think slowly with DLS and everything. Mm -hmm. So, so that will still be available until, you know, roughly two thousand qubit systems are are available. Um, but it's not really that simple. You you can use a, you know, smaller amount of qubits to to uh, speed up the calculations anyway. But uh, and for people who don't know quantum computing, kind of in general, if you think of an uh, exponential problem, um, like. Uh, uh, encryption <laughs> where you know it, it starts to be breaking encryption gets exponentially harder as the key size 
increases. Uh, with common computing, that exponentiality becomes linear. So that, that's basically the, the, the thing. So, so um, uh, due to that, uh, it, it starts to become become uh, easier easier to break the current types Har of... yeah yeah so what is are we going to see some new kind of encryption yes because of quantum computing yes and it's already there it's already there. is it already practical is, can can you actually yeah. use that yeah yeah, yeah yeah it's so so the the how should i explain we could maybe have a show on quantum computing <laughs> but like short, short in a short way um, the, the current way that we're doing encryption can be attacked using a quantum algorithm. So a, an algorithm that requires a quantum computer to run on. Um, and it can uh, solve uh, or, or break that encryption in linear time instead of exponential time. So that's kind of the setting. So what we're doing right now is we're, we're not fixing encryption against quantum computing, but we're fixing the encryption against that particular algorithm. So, so at least that algorithm cannot be used. And then it seems to be open until somebody figures out a different algorithm that they can use to break that next. Uh, the, the challenge here, probably, I'm not an expert on this field, uh, but the challenge here is probably not when you're communicating with or you have secure communication between two systems and you change the algorithm or, or the key size, then you're safe for a while. But if the if the messages and the data that you're transferring is such that it is relevant even afterwards, and if it's encrypted, somebody listens to the traffic, they can record that and then they can decrypt the, the, the messages afterwards, then then that's a big problem, right? Exactly. So maybe, maybe after 10 years or 15 years later, you can decrypt the messages and that, that can be dangerous. So that's probably a... Kind of a challenge and, and that's why why we are increasing the key sizes early on maybe changing the algorithms so that they, and that's the why most secure communication stays secure even afterwards yeah and that's why we're not like using uh permanent uh authorization keys or tokens yep. because somebody could uh record the tls encrypted uh transmission um and then just brute force it and then they'll have the key so if the key okay. itself is uh temporary then most likely it's already uh, no, no longer usable. But from the from the regular user's point of view, probably not not a problem at at, at the moment at least. So yeah, mm -hmm. that, that's going to change uh, or evolve over time, and, and we will just have to update our computer and, and software as time goes by, and then that's probably okay. Anything else? I had a few few things here as well. Uh, one more thing, at least, for when it comes to programming, I've been using Java since since the late nineties. Stone Age stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Version one point one, I think, was 8. the first. 8. One point two, one point. I don't remember the exact version numbers anymore. But one point one point seven and one point one point eight. Probably the earlier one. Uh, 118 was when the IBM JDK came out. It could have, yeah, it could have been that. I remember the the project that that I was doing. The, the first commercial project was using DB2 as as the database. So we did have IBM tool, tooling. Then maybe that's anyway. That's not Let's the just thing. Just remember that Visual Age with warmth. Yeah, Visual Age for Java. Yeah, that was the first uh, proper IDE that I used for <coughs> for Java, which evolved into Eclipse. Eclipse, yeah. Uh, but so I've been using Java for a very long time, uh, and ninety nine percent of the stuff that I've done uh, professionally has been with Java. Of course, you do a lot of other things there as well like scripting frameworks and all kinds of things. But uh, last year, I started to look into Python as well. Of course, I've been using Python earlier. And, and once you're fluent with, uh, like you're a, a professional programmer or software developer, of course, you can pretty much read any programming language. It doesn't take that, that, that long to, maybe not to master the topic, but you can really 
yeah, it's do more about basic stuff with any language. Just after one weekend, you're you're already quite fluent with that. But yeah, I, I always say it's more about the libraries that you use. That yeah. that's what differs, not the the syntax of the programming language that's irrelevant. But but still, I, I was I, I've been looking into Python. Probably uh, one reason is that the the AI machine learning stuff. Python has a lot of good libraries there uh, mm -hmm. for, written for Python. And the solutions are quite simple. When you're using Python, you can write like efficient code from the user point of view, not from the machine point of view. We did discuss about this earlier, mm -hmm. that, that Python is a horrible solution if you want to think about the environment in that sense that it, it consumes a lot of uh, compute resources, but from the implementer point of view, the programmer point of view, it's uh, quite refreshing that you you are writing just with few lines of code, you can do a lot of things. But of course, you are then uh, dependent on the on the libraries and and all that. So it's in good and bad. Yeah, but that's one thing that I did, and it's kind of a re refreshing change from. From just using Java for everything, regardless of what the the problem is, I was using Java, and now maybe more open to using other languages as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's like literally, why is Python that much used in machine learning and uh, data analytics? Well, it's because the libraries exist for for Python. So, like the the, the basics, there is NumPy, um, which as which is a kind of a vector, vector um, uh, vectorization um, library, uh, and it actually has um, all of the uh, original Linback methods implemented. Linback was the the original um, kind of uh, mathematics li linear mathematics linear algebra mathematics package available in Fortran originally. <laughs> Um, and that NumPy was kind of a Python wrapper uh, around those heavily um, um, optimized linear algebra uh, um, implementations. Um, and it was there from, from the start. So, so people started to use it, right? So it was uh, easy to approach. And then on top of NumPy, we, we then got SciPy that kind of uh, uh, brought some scientific computation uh, based on the, the effective vector-based uh, computations of NumPy. Uh, and, and in there, uh, we then got, for example, uh, Scikit-Learn, which, uh, uh, which is an open-source uh, machine learning uh, library. And basically, all of the machine learning that we're doing nowadays, independent of what library we're really using, is we're mimicking <laughs> the Scikit-Learn way of, of using this because people were so used um, to that, so, so it's, it's about uh, it's, tooling. Yeah, it's once you have the tools, you're you don't have to know about the details. It doesn't. I, it I, doesn't. It's not a bad thing if you know about the details. But even when you do know about the details, in the long run, you're going to use the some libraries and yeah, not not and very if, often you implement everything by yourself. Exactly, and if people are thinking that it sounds kind of uh, funny that we're on the one hand saying that Python is ineffective. And then on the other hand, we're using Python to do something like machine learning that requires a lot of computation. Then that's not yeah. exactly true. We're, we're only using Python for the kind of high level stuff, the, the instructions on what type of machine learning you want to do. Uh, and then the actual frameworks that then do the actual computations, they are, they are highly optimized uh, in, in machine code. The bulk of the work is really optimized. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just the, the kind of high-level stuff that is uh, using pure Python. Interestingly, my my daughter, who is going to be 12 in about two weeks, uh, is starting to, in school, starting uh, to do programming. And I'm really interested to see what, what are the, uh, which, the which platform? And, and, sorry? Which platform? Yeah, I, I have no idea yet. So, yeah, okay. but I'm I'm really interested to see what what the platform is, and and also interested to to figure out if if I can uh, not intervene with 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 the stuff. 
So, but, so my but daughter, yeah, that's that's going to be interesting. My daughter is is already twelve; just turned uh, about a month ago, um, and she's been doing uh, code.org um, yep. stuff. So so there is a like the, in the beginning, there is no uh, writing of code; it's more about logic and then understanding order of execution and that kind of stuff. Um, and she, she, she really liked that. So. Yeah. I, I hope my, my daughter will like that as well. It's, it's, uh, she had an opportunity to choose between, between the, the extra, extra, uh, topics that they're going to study like this second half of, of the semester. And, and, uh, she actually chose this by herself. So I'm, didn't I didn't have any say on that. Uh, she's just hoping for a nice Christmas present, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so a, a little bit about programming. Yeah, what else? Uh, I did finish uh, one huge photography project uh, last year. It was called 100 Strangers. I invited uh, uh, people who I do not know beforehand. I invited them to my studio, and, and we took uh, beautiful portraits and that was one huge, and also happy that I I got that out of the out of the way as well. Of course, I have another project going on at at the moment, but it, it has not been completed yet. You gotta follow his Instagram. Yeah, maybe we put the link there. Uh, what else? How about you? How did you how did you feel uh, your workload for let's say the the first half? And the second half of 2023. So yeah, we got a uh, a new uh, family member, a baby, uh, late 2022, the 28th of December. So the beginning of 2023 was uh, lots of baby stuff. Yeah, hectic. So, yeah, and and still, um, there's there's a big difference uh, between having two and three kids, especially if one of them is a baby. Because um, our our second youngest or, or middle uh, kid is four, turning five now, so she's young enough still to need quite a lot of uh, support every time. Uh, so so handling both the baby and her is already kind of a full time job for two persons, uh, and then we still have the twelve year old as well that kind of gets neglected. Then yeah. right, so so that kind of surprised me that. Yeah, parenting doesn't scale very nicely. <laughs> I I find it go the opposite. I have uh, three kids as well, and and uh, two kids was hard, and three kids, especially after the divorce that I had. Well, it's okay once the the youngest is old enough to to not need the attention all the time. So it's. It, it's yeah, it's, it's fun until I've I've heard that when they are teenagers it starts to get a little bit harder again. But I'm enjoying the the, the time right now. All right, cool. Yeah. Mm, what what else? What was the the or or did you did you find any new services in 2023 that kind of uh, I don't know. That that you're, for example, using uh, that you didn't use before, or something that you feel that that this is this is going to be big. There are quite a lot of things um, that happened, like on uh, on the Google side. If we think about that first, um, then uh, Anthos starts to be uh, uh, we start to see people really using that. Um, then we have. Uh, uh, BigQuery and BigQuery Omni. BigQuery Omni is the possibility to run BigQuery in a different cloud. So if you're previously the problem was that if your data lake is on uh, S3 in in AWS, then of course you could could still run your analytics using BigQuery, uh, but the data transfer costs would be horrendous because you need to to uh, you know export all of the data from S3 into Google Cloud first. So, so Omni is a way for you to actually run BigQuery on AWS, so that you can do local local data, uh, and then just transfer the results, which hopefully is a smaller data set than the yeah, yeah. original, <laughs> right? 
Um, so that was a kind of a, a big thing for me. Uh, then also in, in Google, Looker uh, got more integrated. Um, Looker is a, a BI um, tool that Google purchased from a company or they purchased a company called Looker. Uh, and then what Google did is what they always do is that they they changed all of their their um, kind of visualization tools to be called Looker, right? So so all of the uh, uh, metrics visualizations that we used to have on Google Cloud, those part of Stackdriver is now called Looker as well. So now everybody's really confused <laughs> about yeah, what yeah. Looker really is. Did the same thing for the AI stuff. So, so previously we had different kinds of AI services. Now everything is called Vertex, and nobody really know, knows what that is. <laughs> so, um, that was kind of interesting on that side. Uh, on the AWS side, um, I finally got into SageMaker Studio. Um, this is due to the fact of our actually our course materials. Um, we didn't have any proper course materials on SageMaker Studio uh, before. Um, and then finally, we got that, and I'm really happy that, that we're there. It was a little bit uh, uh, kind of uh, embarrassing to refer to the old SageMaker notebooks when everybody would actually want to be using SageMaker Studio in, in, yeah. instead. Um, and, and then there's SageMaker Canvas now, which is an even more integrated um, tool. It starts to look a little bit like the Azure machine learning stack. Azure started off with this very user-friendly, like minimal machine learning knowledge required type of mm. user interface. We just kind of drag and drop things into a pipeline and then it'll just work. So now, a couple of years later, um, AWS is finally kind of getting there, there as well. Previously, their stuff was very technical. It's very good, but you really needed to know um, uh, how, to, how to use it. So how do you feel? Is it a good, good or bad thing? If uh, suddenly, well, not suddenly, but uh, uh, a lot more of the workforce is able to use like so AI this, this or same, machine learning, is how do how do you feel about that without having too much background? It's the same argument as with Gen AI, right? So with coding with Gen AI, right? Mm. So so one thing uh, with Gen AI when when you're coding is that well, you can just ask your Gen AI to create code for you. Um, but then does that mean that that code is of the required quality and so on, right? So, so exactly in professional environments, it's not about getting rid of the, the developer, but it's more about the developer not having to use as much time to put all the scaffolding in place and then yep. just kind of concentrate on the, the, the real deal. It's similar in um, machine learning with, with auto ML or, or whatever you want to call it, right? So, so now... With AutoML, instead of you having to do all of the data mas massaging and uh, uh, all of that Ooh. stuff yourself, you can uh, concentrate on stuff that is more important, like a bias detection, uh, making sure that your source data is uh, correct, uh, and then analysis of the the uh, results. So, so the the kind of attention of a machine learning specialist goes away from the actual algorithms that are being used to train models and it goes towards like data and stuff like bias how can we figure out uh, whether or not this decision um, is biased based on 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 us having some kind of uh, data I think my favorite example is that we're doing like loan applications home loan applications or something like that uh, and then in our data about the applicants, we have one field that says um, when the the military service was completed, right? And, and that is a that introduces bias because women will not have, or or a lot of a lot less of the women will have that field filled in. So then we're when we're we're using that kind of data as a training data, we need to identify that this is even though the information might be interesting. It is actually biasing, and we need to make sure that it doesn't have biasing effect on the um, predictions themselves, right? So, so that kind of stuff—that's what we can now concentrate on. And there are plenty of examples, like funny examples, regarding this. Like there's this uh, 
university um, department that created a, uh, a face recognition algorithm for their lab door, right? So whenever somebody from the lab would come, um, they, it would unlock the door automatically. And uh, that worked uh, only well for men. Sorry, did it work only for men? Yeah, so like I'm just not, guessing not, here. There were no women present. So, so when the once the first woman got there, uh, it stopped working. Uh, same thing. We need to take care of of people with different backgrounds, right? Just making sure that we have a good uh, or, or or then they didn't have enough negative examples. So so somebody could just hold up a picture of of a face of somebody, and then that would yep. unlock the door, right? So so um, my point is that the machine people who use machine learning they will need to start to think about these kinds of higher level things whether i have enough negative examples versus positive examples yep. um, whether the the sample space is representative of reality and that kind of stuff instead of thinking about how machine learning actually works yeah, yeah. so not worry about the details but then actually having to understand how machine learning works and the yeah and that's you that's can focus on on higher level stuff. Yeah. Uh, and one thing that for me kind of changed um, was databases last year. Uh, for uh, just a quick recap, uh, wh when you're using a database and you're as old as I am, it's always a relational database. End of story. <laughs> that's it. And that, with that uh, attitude and with that background, uh, last year was an eye-opener for, for the other database options as well. Of course, uh, as an, an instructor, I've been uh, learning about uh, non-relational databases and, and, and things like that. But then they, they are more than just a relational database and a non-relational database. There are, there are lots of different databases, different kinds of databases that are actually valid options for for certain use cases, and that's also one thing from last year. That, well, as as services, they didn't change, but uh, I got involved with those other databases, and that was actually a really good thing. But yeah. you you've been you've been running the database courses for for a long time, so that that didn't change. But from the database point of view, was there something last year that that was new? Um, if you if you ignore was if you data, ignore the reinvent the, the things that yeah. were for, for uh, me the new thing was the data API that's yeah. a that's a really really cool thing and uh, it's going to so so again um, to to kind of explain things traditionally when you're connecting to a database uh, a relational database you're you're making a consistent connection so uh, usually a JDBC or ODBC connection to that database. And that runs on, on TCP IP, right? So you have an ongoing connection, and then you're sending your commands to the database, and it'll reply back to you. And this works nicely. This is kind of a basic client-server architecture, right? And it works nicely if we have a traditional application where we maybe have a, a multitude of application servers, and then each of them will do a connection pool back to the database. And then we have you know, maybe tens of simultaneous connections on the database, which is easy to handle. But if we move over to a modern architecture, where we would be using, for example, Lambda functions, then we could have hundreds or, or even thousands of clients to the same database. And that database is going to you know, get swamped just by the amount of connections. And, and they are short, short connections. They are not ongoing. Yeah, the, the problem is that... Yeah, the problem is that the connection, you want to reuse the connection in a Lambda function, right? Because it takes time to open up. So if you get a warm start, you want to reuse it. But the problem is that there is no hook when the Lambda gets deleted. So if you have the connection there and the Lambda gets deleted, it will never be reused, but it's still open on the server side until it times out. So that's kind of the, the, the problem there. And how do we solve that? Well, we, we used to have a proxy implementation. So a proxy that would then uh, batch the incoming connections to a connection pool. Uh, and that way control that the database at least doesn't need to have that many connections open. But now the data API basically allows us to use an HTTP REST API 
to send commands to the um, to the database. So we're going to use it in a similar way as we're using, for example, DynamoDB. Right? Yep. Um, and that's really cool because now the database doesn't need to scale with the number of connections. Rather, it's the, the AWS uh, infrastructure that does that, that scaling. When and and you don't have to worry about the, the database, the, the drivers. Exactly, that as well. Yeah. That, that's so, the, the database drivers was a huge uh, pain in the, in the past when, when you were trying to connect to a new database and, and you had to find the specific driver that worked with the language that we are using. For me, of course, it was always Java, but still you had to find the correct uh, the, the driver. And when you were deploying your application to an application server, then that application server also had to have that, that the correct version of the correct driver. And, and uh, yeah, that was... Yeah, and, and those not drivers so, didn't, not so didn't, far. Always, uh, didn't always fully support the wire protocol, right? So so in the like wire protocol, there would be things like cursor control. Like you could, um, instead of downloading all of the results at once, you could keep a cursor open uh, in the result set on the server side and then basically select which parts of the result set you want to fetch at which at what kind of rate. Uh, and, and then a, a lot of the uh, open source drivers didn't actually support anything, anything like that, anything fancy or any special commands like Postgres didn't do proper loading of data from, from disk uh, in, in, in the original open source uh, driver, which was kind of horrible. There's so, so many things that uh, we needed to worry about back then. So, so all of that is kind of gone. Of course, there's going to be a little bit more latency with HTTP. Uh, but you know, compared to a cold start, it should, should at least not be as much. And then the other great thing is authentication, right? Because now you can do the authentication using IAM against the data API. Uh, so you don't need to have any usernames or passwords uh, they're going to be using for for the uh, actual you, you, data connection to the or, or low you level can connection. with with AWS you can use IAM for authentication for yeah. For, it, it's Already, a bit of a cloud, that, it's token based. So, so what you do then is you get a token. There are limitations from, there. How many? It was it was two hundred per second, or what was the? Yeah. So the problem is it's token there. based, right? So instead of using a username and password, you're going to use a token, and that comes from uh, probably from SDS or something or something like that. So with your IAM identity, you first go and get the token. And then you use that token to connect to the database, and then the database needs to go up and verify that token again <laughs> uh, for it to work. There's so a little it's, bit extra latency. Yeah, it, and it's a little uh, bit tricky. Quite but, uh, quite often, uh, the systems that I've been building, it's it's not about the absolute speed; it's about the having the correct business logic. So, from my point of view, that that extra little bit of latency has never been the real problem. Our problems have been like buggy implementation of business logic or or something like that but of course for other other use cases where you, maybe you have tens of thousands or or hundreds of thousands con concurrent users then and you want to reduce everything like just as small latencies as possible then well then even yeah. then it's actually not about how many how many clients you have but if you have a system that that's really real time instead of kind of more laid back and you you get your results when you get them that's completely different kinds of systems there yeah but it's still um latency always then results in queuing delays so yeah 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 yeah, yeah. kind of can you, you even though latency would be okay for your business logic then if your throughput rate rises then due to the latency you're going to have uh performance problems quicker than than without yep. latency. That's another thing we could sometimes talk about, how, uh, how latency affects um, software scalability. Not only the, the, the end user <laughs> that doesn't like uh, uh, things taking for, for too long, but that's actually the software itself that, that might get into trouble because of, of latency. Exactly. We're... Well, not running out of time, but uh, we've been rambling about almost an hour. Yeah. Any anything? Uh, I'm not in a rush here, but uh, 
Do you have anything else in mind? Um, not really. I'm just trying to write down that as a possible topic. As a yeah, yeah. We, we have an endless list of things to discuss. Yeah, another thing I'd like to talk about is um, um, CQRS um, and how that helps with exactly that kind of problem that we were just talking about. Yep. Um, and, and then maybe microservices transaction rollback problems. Mm. This can be an interesting uh, topic. So dis distributed transaction rollback, how to implement that? Uh, I can tell already that it's not, not simple. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> One of the reasons why not to use microservices. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, I actually, what do you think if you just quickly think about this year, 2024, what is, uh, is, is there something that you think like it, one year from now we're think, talking about what happened 2023, uh, 24, then do you have any predictions or, or things that you yeah, so... like to it seems that Gen AI is going to, uh, or or LLMs, if we want to be yeah. professionals here, LLMs um, are going to be more widely used. Um, the um, president or CEO of NVIDIA was one of the main uh, guests in both AWS reInvent and in Google Next, explaining how many <laughs> GPUs or, or, or accelerants they have sold to the <laughs> different cloud environments. So everybody's so a huge of, number. Yeah, like uh, yeah, like uh, several exa computers worth. Um, so so it seems that everybody's ready for for doing custom LLMs. Um, so so that's probably going to be interesting uh, next year. Now, of course, this is limited to very large organizations. It's it's very it's very expensive to to create these LLMs. But finding that kind of uh, threshold over when you're using a uh, pre-trained LLM and then do additional training onto it, or when to start off from a from a totally new untrained LLM instead. That's going to be really interesting uh, for, for like really big companies. Like, like when, when should they consider training everything from scratch? I see huge problems from the security point of view there as well. Well, copyright. I yeah, not only that, but I mean, like from from cybercrime side. Yeah, that's... yeah. There is also the problem of of um, leaking um, leaking source data via the model itself, because the model is so big that you can't, you know, inspect it yeah, yeah. Uh, manually. So, so uh, we've already seen some some examples of that kind of leakage. So, that... and well, actually, I, I I did uh, uh, check actually yesterday. I was looking at how good uh, AWS was uh, at generating speech from text. And the model currently produced really plausible Finnish as well, not just English, which is like the obvious obvious starting point. But And I can see huge problems there when, when the models start to get more and more plausible. Then it, it starts to get really difficult to tell if you're talking over phone is is this a real person that you're talking to the other person could be talking a different language and it just in real time translates that into another language and you don't have any idea yeah that's the, that that's kind of the 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 good thing about knowing a language that not people many people know it's like you, you can immediately tell if somebody is native or not currently <laughs> yeah you can but in the future it will it will be harder and harder especially if you if you're expecting someone to speak English and then you're receiving English, right? Yeah. All right. Okay. Should we call it a morning or yeah, a day? Or a day for me. It's yeah. about three o'clock now for me. Okay. Let's so, just so let, let, let's see if I can. Uh, I fail. I I'm, I'm not sure if I failed to play the 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 intro video, but let's see if I can play the outro. Okay. Fair enough. Bye. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.